0: Welcome to another episode of the Trees and Lines podcast. Today, Caroline Hernandez, Assistant Program Director of Sustainability Landscapes at the University of Illinois, joins us to discuss how her work is affecting utility vegetation management, pollinator habitats, and making connections to better the industry. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Caroline. We appreciate you joining us for Trees and Lines. been looking forward to having you for quite some time, so it's taken us a little bit longer than expected to get it to all work out, but thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, well, I'm excited to be here and excited to talk about the work that we do, so thanks for inviting me.
0: Would you just start us off by giving us a little bit of your background, tell us about Caroline, and then uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the working group.
1: I've been kind of all over the place, uh, you know, living and studying, uh, working all over the place, all over the world, uh, up until I met my uh, then-fiancé and moved to Chicago. Um, So, you know, we could live together, and I found the job at the University of Illinois Chicago and Energy Resources Center, so it's a research institute, through UIC, and it focuses on, um, you know, energy efficiency, sustainable landscapes. I was hired in 2018, and um, the working group, the Rights of Ways Habitat Working Group, had started back in uh, late 2015. But it was still kind of taking off, and so I feel like I've been on it since the beginning. But I know there were several years before me. But it's it's been a it's been a fun ride to just see it expand.
2: You mind shedding some color? I'm kind of curious on your time in Ecuador. Right. I know you were with the, the Peace Corps, um, but like why Ecuador? You know, what sort of sustainable work were you doing down there? Um, I just thought it was interesting. Like, was it a specific reason that you were?
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you did some digging. Um, so I was in Peace Corps and um, when I joined Peace Corps, it was not at the point where you could select your country. So I minored in Spanish, I studied abroad in Spain, I lived in Spain, so I spoke Spanish. Um, And then I applied for Peace Corps. I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do after college. Um, And so then, and I had this environmental, um, you know, studies background as well and globalization background. Um, And so they sent me to Ecuador because I spoke Spanish. It was kind of between Africa and Ecuador. They taught me Quechua or Quechua um and so then they sent me to a small indigenous community up in up in the andes it was really small and um and i so half of the time i was there i worked with uh like small women's groups and worked on some like women's empowerment and then i also worked at their their school and and taught about generally like don't bring your trash if you can and like what recycling is and, and things like that and then the second year that i was there um i moved to a different city and we worked in um silviculture and so it was kind of like a research organization and we went to really really remote really really tiny um places and we talked to the farmers that had um Done a lot of slash and burn work for their cows, and there was a type of tree that my organization was trying to get everyone to plant. So that you could actually cut off the, the the branches, the cows could eat it, then they would um, actually have more nutrition, and then you were reforesting as well. And I liked that because I feel like every time you talk about um, sustainability, it's usually at the the peril of somebody. Um, you know, if if you have to cut. Somewhere, but I liked the idea of sustainable development, where you can um, reforest while also taking care of the people too. And so that's kind of yeah. After that, that's I awesome. went to grad school. Yeah.
0: So tell us about the working group. What's was the motivation for forming it? What's its uh, goals? What's it doing now?
1: So the the Rights of Ways Habitat Working Group, um, it is a it's a, a group of now more than you know seventeen hundred individuals uh, comprised of. For, more than 400 organizations, but it started grassroots. It started with uh, Iris Caldwell, my boss, um, just having some conversations with departments of transportation, utility companies, and they would tell her, "You know, we're really interested in 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 creating and conserving habitat on our working lands, on our rights of way, but you know, we're." we need resources. We want to learn from each other. We want to be able to um you know share uh, share what we've learned, best management practices, things like that. And so back in 2015, she started hosting our, you know, first Rights of Ways Habitat Working Group meetings. Started small. Actually I think the meetings were still had about hundred people at them at the beginning. And then we have just been increasing and, and now we're not just, you know, energy and transportation organizations. We're academia, we're contractors, conservation organizations. We have uh, really good representation from the federal government as well, state governments, local governments. So it's all, you know, with the intent of supporting this conservation on rights of way.
0: Yeah. So as you look back where you've come from, what do you see as the biggest accomplishments?
1: Ooh, uh that's that's hard to say because uh we've got we've got our um kind of flagship programs that we're we're really well known for. But I also just think the work that uh our partners have done, I think should be, you know, is just as as highly or just as important. Um, and should be highly lauded as well. So one of our main programs that has got the most national attention is the Candidate Conservation Agreement with Assurances. And that's a voluntary conservation agreement with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and energy and transportation organizations for the monarch butterfly. So the monarch butterfly is a candidate species right now. They're considering listing it as a threatened or endangered species. And organizations can enroll in this agreement that UIC is the programmatic administrator of and commit to creating habitat on their rights of way. In return, they get assurances if the the monarch is listed as threatened or endangered that they're not going to have to do additional conservation measures for the monarch butterfly. But really it's about, you know, trying to get as much habitat on the ground as possible for the monarch prior to the listing or even to preclude the listing. And the, the numbers have just got come out for uh, the, the eastern population and it's low now. But what our partners are doing is just really incredible. They've committed over 900,000 acres of habitat just through this agreement and since it was finalized in 2020.
0: Just the eastern ha- or, uh, population or also the Western population.
1: So, sorry, the the agreement is the first nationwide candidate conservation agreement with assurances, and so anyone within the contiguous U.S. can enroll. Um, And so, then there are, of course, um, organizations on the, the the western half. I was just thinking of the the eastern population numbers that came out.
2: Is it fair to say then that you guys are you're building the case for the importance of like habitat? Preservation and the importance of certain species, etc., and then the people that own the right of ways, whether it's utilities, transportation organizations, you know, they work with you to modify how they engage with the with their respective right of way to ensure that the the research that you guys are doing is being incorporated in their planning. Is that is that kind of the life cycle of how this works?
1: Kind of, I I would say that it's kind of on its head. So. Um, I think of UIC um, and us as representing the Rights of Ways Habitat Working Group. I think of us as kind of like the the, the public servants of the energy and transportation organizations. And so uh, we do have some research that that we're doing, but a lot of it is just making the right connections. They're doing the work, um, making sure that they're getting the kudos for the work that they're doing. And so then we're creating the tools, we're creating the resources, they're telling us what they need, and then we we give those and then and make those connections. And so I think it's, They're doing the the really important work and then we're doing what we can to to support them.
2: Do you then get funding from them? Is that how's the dollar flows?
1: So we are open source on all of our resources. We are funded through the Energy Resources Center. And so the majority of the work that we do is grant funded. And so somebody tells me what they want to do. I go and find the grant. I write the grant. We, we get the month, the funding, then we, we do the work. And then whatever we create is just on our website for anybody to access. Um, and then, of course, we, we collaborate with other organizations, create resources like that to do that kind of research. And then the candidate content agreement with assurances, there is a administrative fee so we can continue administering that. And so that is uh, another way that supports the work that we do.
2: So let's say, Caroline, like I took your organization out. You guys don't exist anymore. Where where would the what would be missing? Right. Like what how would the the balance of the ecosystem shift if you guys weren't there?
1: I think we provide a space for these organizations to learn from each other. So it's harder to to find, um, you know, if a DOT wants to find a energy company that has succeeded in a certain type of vegetation management on their right of way. Um, that might be more difficult. A lot of this, the tools and resources that we create um, and provide, of course, wouldn't be there. We've got some incredible you know, conservation partners that are working on similar efforts, but we do a lot of that connecting and focus just on the energy and transportation organizations that I think is where we fill that unique niche. So how many u-
0: utilities uh, have gone for the CCE? What
1: is it, CCAA? CCAA. Oh, I wish I had gotten those numbers up. So we just received our fifty-first application um, oh. this morning, uh, wow. and I think it's something like yeah. And it and especially with a pending listing decision in this uh, in this fall, we're expecting a, a lot more applications and a lot a lot faster uh, you know coming in. Um, yeah, and so I think it's we've got like 37 utility companies that are enrolled right now. Um, And then the rest are transportation agencies. But, you know, we, we also have, uh, it's really interesting. We also have organizations with private companies that have roadways and they're managing that vegetation on those roadways. And so they are eligible to enroll. Uh, We've had conversations with data companies that have, you know, and they've got, they're transporting that data uh, through pipelines. Um, And so they're eligible to enroll. And so it's a, it's a really unique agreement just based on the eligibility and that it's, um, it, it's national.
2: So could anybody that has any exposure to the specific assets, the right of ways, uh, could they join this working group? Like what is the, what, what has to be a part of that? What is the key critical part of the criteria?
1: Um, you've got to have vegetation management control of a right of way, um, energy, energy or transportation right of way. Yeah. Because we're, what we're looking at is how generally rights of way are managed and then the conservation measures that you are doing on a portion of those rights of way. And then it should have, um, it should still have a, uh, net conservation benefit based on conservation activities that you're doing.
0: You're doing a lot of work around solar fields now, am I right?
1: Yeah, so um, one of our grants uh, that we received a couple of years ago was from the Department of Energy, and we're looking at co-locating uh, pollinator habitat and large-scale solar facilities. And, of course, that does tie into, you know, any of those energy companies could enroll into the Monarch CCAA, but um, we are looking at the the economic uh uh, factors of what is the vegetation management? What are the costs of the vegetation management? If you're if you're just doing you know your regular constant mowing versus you're going to seed it and let it lay for a while and and then just uh, do the the maintenance and upkeep. We're also uh, looking at the performance factors. So uh, is it affecting, I guess, effective is the, the solar panel. Um, you know, we're, we're keeping that, that vegetation below the, the height of the panels, of course. But with vegetation under the panels, they cause, it can cause a cooling effect. Uh, cooler panels mean uh, more efficient panels. And so we're, we're looking at that. And then we're of course looking at the ecology of it. So if we're creating habitat, what are we bringing to the the solar arrays? Or we are we getting a greater uh, diversity of bee species, of, of birds, of um, of butterflies? And so we're looking at the ecology, and we're taking all of that information and we're creating tools for the solar industry. Um, uh decision support tool for the solar industry of whether they want to implement habitat on on their um on their land. So cost benefit calculator, um a seed selection tool, a, a scorecard for solar, um, and then an implementation manual, which walks you from the beginning. It, it's it's very thorough and it's a really great manual, but it walks you from the beginning of is this the right decision tip for me to like who you need to talk to? What kind of vegetation management you need to consider? What kind of uh, seeds you need to consider? Things like that.
0: Yeah, I run into your pollinator scorecard more and more. Oh, uh, good, good. Well, well done. So, <laughs> thank you. Explain it. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So, um, the solar pollinator scorecard is a spinoff of our standard pollinator scorecard. So, it is um, a scorecard that um, we we wanted to create a standard that could be used across the United States on energy or transportation lands um, and help organizations track the quality of their habitat. And so uh, there's three tiers. You can, you can, you know, if you, you can essentially identify whether um, it is a nectar plant or not. That's the first tier. And then if you are, you know, a biologist, you know what you're looking for, you know the noxious and invasives, you know the native plants. That's going to be the third tier. And so, you know, we've got it on like a survey one, two, three app. Um, and uh, yeah, people people are using it. They're using it for the CCAA. Uh, they're also just using it to to track, you know, how they're doing in, in creating and conserving that habitat. And I'll, I'll add that they're um, uploading that data into our geospatial habitat database. Um, so that's a geospatial system where organizations can not only track the quality of their habitat, but they can um, track where they're doing what types of management. So they're doing you know, conservation mowing here, they're doing seeding here, they've got programs. Um, and then they can even share that data on that database with specific organizations that they choose. And, and, and then you could even... Um, plan, you know, your, your vegetation management activities to, to, to align.
2: So how big is your team? Cause it feels like you guys, you're obviously you're creating this like ecosystem of connecting people. You've got data repository, um, you know, you're processing like these applications, you're creating dialogue infrastructure. So like, what does this look like in terms of your organization and all the people involved?
1: How, how big do you think our team is?
2: Um, I mean, I'm gonna go based on the economy firing everybody. I'm gonna say, I don't know, maybe you're a team of like seven.
1: Okay, okay. um so we have not fired anybody um yeah. for the past I'm couple of years it's been um it's been three people plus a bunch of student okay. interns. um well, We've just hired uh two two more. Um, which I'm super excited about that we're we're growing our team and it's making it so that we can uh, focus and on you know more projects and and do other things and and then of course yep. uh, we constantly have our our student interns who are really helpful <laughs> and lovely.
2: Where are they interning from?
1: Uh, UIC, and so it's it's nice that we can yes just support support the the students that are working there. So we've got undergraduate students and graduate students that are interning with us.
0: Oh, that's very cool.
1: Wow, I've watched
0: that growth over the years. It's hard to believe you do that with three, so. Yeah.
1: Pretty yeah. impressive. Well, and Iris Iris yeah. was doing it uh by herself for several years. And if we, I mean, by yourself, you know, we've we've had the support of contractors, we've had the support of other organizations, um but she yeah, she's worked hard. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. So it sounds like when I looked at your background, you have been in the sustainability space for quite some time, right? And so you find yourself here you know, where, where are you guys going to go next? Like, it sounds like you're touching on some of the renewable assets. It's like, it almost feels like it's not just right of ways. It's maybe all infrastructure and how it's impact on habitats. Like what's the, what's the limit here or what's the direction that you guys are headed?
1: I, I think that's actually a conversation we have a bunch. It's like, oh, we could do this and we could expand, but it's like, oh, we, we have a staff of, of five. We Three should probably people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um yeah. and so and and because we're at the energy resources center, um, and we felt, you know, we are the sustainable landscapes program, but we still have this kind of base of energy. And so um we are, you know, I think staying within kind of that main infrastructure. Uh we're developing another uh, Agreement similar to the Monarch ccaa but it's focused on at-risk bumblebee species. We're specifically including like water infrastructure uh, for that. And mm. so um, still kind of the long, narrow passageways uh when we're when we're thinking about how all of that is managed, but physically still kind of rights of way type of things. We um, you know, we we've been doing a lot of work with different federal agencies. So uh, we recently received a grant from the Department of Defense um, to help with them, help their military installations and support the uh, the creation and conservation of pollinator habitat on their lands, having conversations with the EPA on, on, on pesticide uh, use.
2: Is that something that they become aware of and they know that you're in the market or you're reaching out to them for grants and for, you know, for more work?
1: A little bit of both. So we have a good relationship, uh, with, you know, with people of, of, different organizations. Um, we attend conferences, we present at conferences. Uh, so if they're presenting about something and we see something that I think matches what we're interested in, we'll reach out to them and vice versa. And, you know, and we, I think we just try and do regular check-ins with, with the people that, uh, know our work and, and, uh, want to keep tabs on what the energy and transportation industry is, is on, is doing.
2: You, you mentioned 37 utilities. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a demographic uh, breakdown um, mostly within the Midwest and eat Northeast, or are we talking 37 across the country? Are there co-ops or like, what's the, what does the mix look like?
1: Um, and, and that's just 37 for the, Monarch agreement. Um, so oh, for the we've, monarch got, agreement. Okay. we've got representation from more than 400 organizations across the US and Canada. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's just the, the Monarch agreement that those 37 organizations have, um, enrolled in that agreement and, you know, agreed to this, this voluntary conservation, but I would say, yeah, across the country, you know, in Canada, we've got a chapter of the Rights of Ways Habitat Working Group in, in Canada as well. And so, you know, they're doing similar efforts, but, but we support each other as much as possible too.
0: So you got these millions of acres, Under management, I have no idea what the number would be. Uh, Yeah. A lot of uh, integrated vegetation management that uses pesticides. Um, So do you have a position on that? Or, you know, what is your thinking around? uh, How can people uh, improve habitat? Do they have to, you know, what are the concerns? What are the benefits?
1: Uh, There's a lot of research out there that um, we've not, done but uh that that we've seen and and we support that research so i'm thinking of like carolyn Mayhen is doing a lot of research on on uh veget- integrated vegetation management and from from what we see uh if you are using pesticides uh to target the noxious and invasive species on your rights of way then it is creating a space for uh the the native species to come back Um, and thrive and then support the pollinators and so um, even in the the ccaa for example one of the conservation measures that you can do is use targeted herbicides to 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 for the noxious and invasive species and then and then create that habitat and so yeah it's it's very challenging i to to manage a right-of-way and try and get rid of the the woody species the the invasive species the the noxious species without herbicides um and so i think of uh, the fact of the matter is that they need to make sure that there is no disruption in in their utilities that they're providing and then we can encourage them to do so while also creating native or supporting native habitat for for pollinators
0: that game you mentioned caroline
1: yeah, yeah, Gamelands Game 33, Game 33, thank 33 you. 33 <laughs> website. Uh-huh.
0: That just has such great information about the impacts. So Yeah,
1: yeah. We, we ended up having a conversation that, man, it would be great to have a Gamelands 33 in different eco-regions, different parts of the country. Um, and so that's still kind of in the back of our heads of, like, if we can find the right people, we would love to to push that and support that. And I'll write the grant for that. Like you, you tell me the people that are willing to do it and I will write the proposal for that because it would, it's, it's well needed to, to see it in the, the Southwest where it's drier. Um, And, you know, they have to deal with different species and, and different vegetation management activities.
2: How many grants are you writing a year?
1: Let's see, I probably wrote four or five last year, five maybe. Can so, you give um, us a
2: sense of like what you know what what sort of dollar amounts we're talking about
0: here?
1: Oh gosh. Um <laughs> so I anywhere from uh I'd say the the lowest dollar amount that I uh a, a wrote a grant for, and it was a small grant, thankfully, but I think it was five thousand dollars. Um okay. and then we also wrote a proposal, the uh DOE proposals for, you know, over a million dollars. And so it's just, it depends on the project. It depends on our partners. Um, and you know, we've got some, we've got like a Chicago, a small Chicago based working group that's modeled off the rights of ways habitat working group. And that obviously takes a little bit less money than, you know, some of the other things that we're doing.
2: Wow, very cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Working on military bases and I, yeah, your website yeah, that was one of them. Just, you're into everything.
1: Oh so gosh, what well, are you doing there? The, so that, that's where that's where we're helping the 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 DoD. Um, you know, they're concerned about the monarch butterfly. They've got so much land, so we're looking at. Can we support energy and transportation lands um, on DoD installations to enroll in the CCAA? And then, what can we do to support the collaboration of both organizations to also work with Fish and Wildlife Service and limit take um, of threatened or endangered species um, or at risk species? Make it easier for conserva- conservation. So whatever we can do to to make their lives easier to just you know do a, a spot herbicide treatment or timed mowing or things like that, then um that's what we're looking to do.
2: Does your do you think that your uh work and your scope will extend to things like offshore wind, um, its impact on uh, or offshore storage, offshore solar. There's all this uh I know Next and FPL um have a lot of interesting studies going on and investments going on with uh, with some of these type of projects and they have an incubator with some technology that focuses on desalination um, really interesting things, but obviously that has a huge impact on uh, environmental elements, right and so are you guys limited to you know stuff that's on land and and stuff that's specifically again tied to right of way or will will you dive into all sorts of things that affect uh, you know species fish species et cetera
1: yeah. Uh, that's a good question. We are predominantly focused on pollinators, and so um, I think we have explored, and you know, we, we there's plenty of interest from our partners that you know are looking at turtles and snakes things. And, and things like that. Um, and a lot of the work that they're already doing for pollinators benefits them. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't really discussed offshore, but, you know, some of the partners that you named are, you know, also doing, uh, you know, working with us on, on other projects. And so the, I, I'd say the other thing that we're, we're just starting to hear conversations about is like ESG reporting and things like that. And that's something that I think we're, we're also interested in exploring. Um, and we've got a task force with the geospatial database to look at how, how we expand that database to potentially support some of those needs as well. Give you a chance to give a plug
0: here. I I know the working group does quite a bit of uh, educational opportunities for people. You've got webinars. I know I've attended the work or the uh, annual meeting. So Mm -hmm. tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about how people can engage and what the plan is for those.
1: Yeah so um we obviously took a break during uh of our meetings during during covid but we are back and um we have been actually co-hosting the last two meetings we've got one coming up in 2 weeks um with monarch joint venture um and this upcoming one is also with farmers for monarchs and so it's going to be a really neat meeting we have representation from three of the largest land non-federal landowners um, we're land managers, you know, across the US. You've got energy companies, DOTs, and then farmers um, all meeting together for conservation. Um, and we plan on, on continuing these types of meetings um, on a yearly basis. And then we also host webinars. We know there's a lot of really interesting research that's happening out there um, and just on-the-ground work. And so we find we find those organizations um, yeah, and Uh, so we've been hosting like a research round table where we get newly published research. We get those researchers on, they talk about it. And then we have, um, breakout sessions and, and people, uh, discuss where this research could be used, um, but also where there are still gaps and where, you know, the next steps for the research. And, and then, uh, we've got case studies and things like that. We know, you know, this organization, this DOT, this energy company is doing something really cool and really unique and we want to share about it. And so, um. All of that, plus all of our projects and everything, can be found on our website. Um, and we've got a YouTube page, but I would just recommend our website to, to uh, find everything there.
0: No, this is great. Um, yeah, we do uh, appreciate your joining us. Uh, yeah, you're
2: going your to have to let us, let us know also how we can um, kind of engage with some of your material and maybe even at some of your meetings. Um, you know, we'd like to see how we can also get involved and if there is a way to get involved and, and just even hear the discussion. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot to lot to learn and glean from what you guys are doing. So, yeah.
0: yeah. So Glad you to wanna, have you. Uh, we have a lot of uh asset managers listening in. Mm-hmm. You know, any encouraging words or uh, you know what would you like to see out of the uh, where the utility pipeline electric?
1: Um, just that I'm a huge fan of their work, especially when they're they're doing it uh, for for you know the the benefit of the environment and. Um, it always just takes one person to have that interest and to start that ball rolling. Um, and there's usually a lot more people that are interested but haven't spoken up yet. So um, you're definitely not alone. And to to, to join the working group um, and to get the support, however, we can support you and uh, keep, keep doing the good work that you're doing.
0: Yeah, I'll reinforce that. It's just interesting to me how you know, many utilities might not be focused on it. But if there's one person at that utility that has a passion, then that utility will have a passion in a year from now. So if you're out there and you're interested, speak up and encourage your coworkers. Yeah. That was great. Thank you, Caroline. Really great, Caroline.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: That's it for this episode of Trees and Lines, brought to you by Iapetus Holdings. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.